look at us getting deep. <laughs> it's just a book about vampires, guys. I know. Like, <laughs> I'm here we're writing like, so much like into life. it. Oh, God. and welcome back to another episode of Romance and the Monsters. I'm Em. I'm Seth. And this week we are talking about Kiss of Steel by Beck Bickmaster. What is this book about, Seth? All right. So the setting is steampunk. Yes. And is this, I like I want to say this first. Like this was like my first steampunk book. Like it was the first Mine one too. I've ever Really? Yeah. Oh. Anyways, I just thought it's, it was It's not a genre that ever attracted me before. Yeah, same. But then I heard that this one had, like, vampires, which I don't know if steampunk usually means that there's creatures. It probably does. Yeah. Um, but now I'm interested. Yeah, me too. I honestly... Um, okay, for me, the setting kind of reminded me of... Um, I don't know if you watched the show Penny Dreadful. No, but I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. it kind of reminds me of that in the mm. sense where, like... It's dark, gritty. They're creatures, but it's still set in London, mm-hmm. and, like, it's still... Like including the rich ton of London, so it kind of reminded me of that, and I kind I really liked it. I was like, okay, I like where this world is going. I like how it's developing because Penny Dreadful is one of my favorite shows, and I think everyone should watch it. I love the soundtrack. Uh, yes, yes, Penny Dreadful. Yeah, so good. I love the music for that show. Anyways, back to the synopsis. So the story starts off with Honoria, who basically has her two siblings that she takes care of. Um, she's working hard in, I guess, what they would call the rookeries. So it's like the underground or the underbelly of like, is it set in London? I actually don't even know the it setting is, of this book. It is set in London. Okay. It is, yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So basically it's set there. Um, and then we also meet Blade, who's basically the man in charge of the rookeries and the underbelly of London. It's called Whitechapel. Yes. The devil of Whitechapel. Yes. That's what, that's his title. Um, (laughs) (laughs) anyways he's scorned by the rich ton which is um don't even ask me how to say it it's called the echelon there you go echelon 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 i think it's echelon yeah yeah he's yeah scorned by the rich ton because he wasn't um part of the nobility wasn't part of like well he's considered a rogue yeah because he wasn't turned with the I don't even know how to explain it. Like he okay. wasn't because he rejected the idea of the echel- the echelon. I think, but I think it was also the way he was turned as well. Like he wasn't. He's not. He's not of the high society. Yeah. He was born a, a peasant, poor. Uh, like I think he was living in, um, like the sewers or something. Yeah. Like he 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 didn't come from high society, so he wasn't considered a blue blood. He was considered a rogue, and then he went to Whitechapel and made it. His kingdom. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, so there um, we see Honoria. She's working as basically a tutor, um, helping people with their speech and also just in general. She's just a tutor. Etiquette. Yeah, etiquette, finishing school and all of that. Um, 
So it starts off with her getting called to meet with Blade because she's literally a unmarried woman and she's living without any protection. So I guess Blade uh, needed to discuss with her what will happen in that sense. So she offers, you know, to Blade that she'll help him with his grammar and his speech because he speaks <laughs> with a very Cockney accent. Accent. And like, yeah, yeah he... Uh, has a lot of London slang in his accent, and I think at this he point... He butchers language is what he does. <laughs> it was, it was low-key hard to understand sometimes. It was so hard. I, like, I don't, were you doing the audiobook, or were you reading it? Uh, no, I read it. I read it. Yeah, I was reading it, so... too, and I kept getting, like, I kept stumbling because mm-hmm. I couldn't figure out what he was trying to say for some of the words, but I feel like after a few chapters you got a hang of, like, what he was trying to say, but some words I still was, like, hung up on because I didn't really know does what was your going brain, on. Does your brain try to supplement the words that are butchered with the right words? Yeah. So that in your brain, you're not really reading the accent. You're just yeah. reading a normal sentence. Yeah. Yeah, me too. That was me. I feel like, I feel like that's more work. <laughs> I'm pretty sure of just it was. It like it is. I'm pretty sure it was. But anyways, Honoria is (laughs) fleeing from the echelon, um, the high society, um, because of her father, who was pretty much working on a cure for um, this virus, which basically, um, it's not really, so being a vampire isn't something that we're, like, it's not like the usual usual vampire that we're used to. Um, It's like a virus, like any other virus, you get it by ingesting a a blue blood's blood, or... um, you know, an open wound. Like, anyways, it's just a virus, okay? It's and her the father. It's the plague again. What? It's the plague again. <laughs> we just literally cannot. Ex- it's, it's not like we do this on purpose. It's not. It just so happens. The fucking plague part. again. <laughs> like, I just. It's just a theme. Since we started this podcast, it's literally the plague after plague. You know I what? wonder if uh, okay. Here's the thing. I wonder if the plague is has always been this present. We just haven't noticed it. I wonder, but we're noticing it now because of what's going on. I wonder, because it's been a constant thing in every single book we've read. That's true. Almost, That's if true. not every book. I mean, like I feel like now I'm going to be more aware reading books. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to actually sure. look for mentions of viruses or plagues or sicknesses. Yeah. Um, because yeah, that's actually like, that's an interesting thought. I never really thought about that before, but I do realize majority of our books that we choose happen to have some sort of disease in there. And not on purpose, which that's the funny part of it. That's, that's the interesting part. I don't know if our brains are somehow connected or plugged onto that (laughs) plague narrative or not, (laughs) but here we are. Another plague book. I mean, it's not technically a plague, but you know, I mean, it was at some point, I think. They yeah. say, like, at some point, but then they killed off a bunch of people, so... Yeah, they killed anyway. off the rogues, basically, and mm-hmm. then the ones... So, basically, how it works with this virus is that you're living with it for the rest of your life. It's like you, con- like, contract herpes or whatever, and, like, you live with it for the rest of your life, and... However, um, it gets worse. Yeah, it gets worse. You deteriorate until you become, like, some creepy-ass, rabid vampire um, that yeah. you don't even form your own thoughts. Like, you're literally... You're only... Like, you exist only to eat and to feed and mm-hmm. kill people, um, and I feel like they reminded me of, like, uh, the priest vampires. Have you seen that movie? Priest? No. Oh, no. it's, like, remember, it's, like, the guy, he has, like, a big cross on his forehead. Obviously, he's a priest. And, like, his job is to kill vampires. And the vampires literally reminded me of the vampires of this book. 
Oh no, I haven't. And they were scary. I was so scared. I was like, these aren't the sexy vampires I'm used to. But anyways, so they become full-on rabid vampires and they have to be put down once they reach that stage. Um, What happens after is that um, she later loses her job because her brother, you find out later on, is also fighting the virus and um, she's doing whatever she can to um, stop the virus from making him become a blue blood, um, which is like, I guess, the term they use before they become a rabid vampire. They only use the word vampire when they're referring to the rabid crazy yeah murderous type of Before creature that they become blood. yeah yeah um and so she loses her job sadly um and then they also find out that she's been lying about her references and she's not from oxford and so she really needs a job she needs to find some sort of income because she needs to take care of her sister and her brother um she decides to go to another man of high society who you later find out is her half-brother um leo and um so basically he's her dad's son and like no one else knows about it but her and but he's a vampire not a vampire sorry he's a blue blood but he refuses to give her access to her inheritance that her father had left her um so she then goes to blade who you know she offers to be his thrall which is basically a human feeder and um yeah. A blood slave. <laughs> Basically. And apparently, like every other vampire book, being a blood slave is highly erotic. And, you know, you yeah. you enjoy also, the feeding. It's also very well regarded in that society. Or, you know, you have... You're a kept um, woman, basically. Yes, but you do have... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um privilege yeah like it's a privilege to it's considered a privilege for women to be a thrall yeah even though you're a kept woman it kind of yeah yeah, it kind of like reminded me of like you know london society mistress like she would be like obviously Mm. like a kept woman but she would have like Mm -hmm. the privileges she would have like the money the house Mm -hmm. the gifts whatever you know your vampire wants to give you um but more or less she would basically be ruined in the eyes of society um, yeah. but I thought it was really interesting that, like, as a thrall, she would have these privileges, but, like... But you're also food. You're just food. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's an added layer to, like, because you said mistress, but it's an added layer because not only are most of them, ha- like, most of those blue bloods have body rights, mm-hmm. I think they called it, or whatever it was, so, like, sex, but also yeah. your food to them. So yeah. it's, it's, it's very interesting because you're seen, you're seen as having a certain privilege for your position, but also are you not dehumanized, you know? Like, it's, I don't know. <laughs> and I, I feel like it kind of resembles, like, I guess... London in that time or like basically anywhere at that time where like as a mistress yeah you have all these privileges but like um as a prostitute or as like a lady of the night um you obviously Mm -hmm. don't get those privileges you're literally living on the street more or less and that's I guess the same case with the drainers you get money and lots of it I guess for your own blood but at the end you're still treated like shit and you basically die in like a few weeks well also the the idea of the blood tax it's not just you you give some of your blood because you want the money but also you have to people have to donate some of their blood in order to feed the blue bloods of society that's wild you're like you have to and in some cases you 
you you get so poor that these people literally drain themselves to death trying to survive (laughs) (laughs) so interesting it is as i said steampunk isn't something i usually read it's not a genre i go about looking you know to read um but i felt like this one was really interesting and i don't know if this is a common theme um for steampunk like you said like i don't know if um you know vampires and werewolves which are also in this book um are they a common theme in steampunk romances so i thought it was really interesting um anyways continuing on with the synopsis um we also get to meet our first rabid vampire who basically okay they smell really bad and like i was really envisioning the stench of them and i'm like how could you like be around that well because they wear so much perfume I know. They're, like, wearing wigs because they lose all their hair. They're using, like, powders to look a little bit less white, translucent. (laughs) Um, They're wearing, like, a bunch of perfume to try to hide the stench of of them. But I'm not. I was talking more of, like, the actual rabbit vampire that was, like, attacking people in the uh, white chapel area. And I'm like, ew. But they, yeah. So, yeah, her brother ends up getting... um, like really really bad to the point where like he starts chewing his own arm because he really wants that blood and like um it's pretty bad and then anyways as his thrall he only demands um that she feeds him every three weeks so like once every three weeks because she's not used to it yet she's weak she hasn't been eating enough but that's a common thing I think like even Esme later on in the book who also happens to be one of his thralls but also his housekeeper um, uh-huh. She only feeds him, like, once in a while. Same with Will. Well, because he rotates, yeah. 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 Um, which, like, kind of makes me question, like, how much blood does these blue bloods need? Like, they need a lot. Well, the the mo- the <clears throat> higher your levels are, yeah. the more blood you need, yeah. I believe. I could be wrong. No, you're right. But I believe that's how it works. No, you're right. Because I remember her talking about, like, how vampires usually you'll need, like, 0.6 pints of blood or 0.6 of a pint sorry of blood um but he was at like over a pint at one point yeah so i'm yeah. like that's a lot of blood <laughs> anyway it's feeding <laughs> anyways things happen and you find out um that as her brother is getting sicker honoria decides to go search for the, her father's diaries that she leaves coincidentally at um blade sister's graveyard um she picks them up and then she somehow loses them but not really (laughs) esme which is also his housekeeper um takes the diaries and then she obviously has to go back to retrieve them and do you know what happens march do you know what happens do you remember well then she does and he they have sex or they make out and then he drinks her blood and no that's not what no (laughs) (laughs) what happens is the girl yes they start making out and then she by mistake nicks him with her poison and she's like oh well this works out yes oh my god that scene is epic i was laughing so hard but i was also like girl find those diaries now yeah she nicks you feel the intensity and he's paralyzed and all he can do is look at her give her the death stare and like she just keeps looking over her shoulder as she's looking in his room for the diaries and like she's like oh shit 
this man is going to kill me once he wakes up. Because the poison only is is only like only works for a certain window of time, but because his levels are so high, yeah, the the poison doesn't work as well on him. So it's like instead of ten minutes, she only has a window of like two minutes, and she like she doesn't know that obviously because she's never used it before. So it's just amazing scene of just him starting slowly to like not be paralyzed and you're like oh my god girl run run (laughs) it was so it was so good because like he kept like making little snide comments as she Mm -hmm. you know was looking and he's slowly waking up but at one point he fully like moves his body like to the point where like he's like it's just it was funny to envision and he's giving her the death stare and you're like retribution will be so delicious yeah (laughs) and it kind of it does become delicious pun intended (laughs) (laughs) because like later on he's like you know what now you need to feed me because i lost a lot of blood because of this poison and i need to you know be in tip-top shape because you know what leo fighting a vampire sorry yes that that's also it but also leo was also waiting for him which is you know part of the high society and then it was what are the the night walkers is that what the other Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah so they were also waiting for him because they are hunting the vampire together but he mm-hmm. takes that opportunity to finally taste her blood and that Get was a taste hot af i will say mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's, again i've said it before i'll say it again it's never not hot when someone drinks your blood it's always sexual it's, it's always great yeah. it's always orgasmic in every sense of the word well yeah and I think it brings like brings it back to what you said I don't remember which episode it was when you talked about how um back in the day in the 1800s or even further I don't remember they used to exchange blood yeah and that's so interesting they they used to think that blood was exchanged between partners during sex yes yeah anyways gets heated and then she realizes actually no he's a blue blood I don't like them I hate them and she literally like skedaddles out of there skedaddles <laughs> like, yeah she's gone anyway she finally decides to go back and um that made no sense she finally decides <laughs> that she needs blade's help because charlie her brother is actually like so like bad like he's worse off than she had thought originally and he begs her to get help, like, to either put him out of his misery, meaning kill him, or find some other way to help him. And she decides to finally confide in Blade and tell him that her brother is actually battling the virus. Um, and usually the echelon would probably kill him. So she was taking a big gamble because she didn't know what Blade would have done to her brother. But, I mean, at this point, I felt like she should have known that he would not have, like, did... Like, he would not have killed you know, her brother or anything like that. Um, but anyways, I feel like that was their turning point in their relationship. I also think that um, that scene sort of um, poses a really interesting question of, are you trying to save your brother and find a cure, or are you just being selfish? That's, yeah, that's a point I have here that I want to talk about. I think I think that was a really big turning point for her because she realized in that moment I'm just being selfish. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm letting my brother suffer because he hasn't gone through the transition yet. He has to have blood in order to go through the transition. I, I think he needs to have blue blood blood. Yeah. 
He does. Um, and so he's suffering because this virus is just eating at his body, essentially. Yeah. That's how I kind of understood it. And and she realizes, like, I'm just being selfish. And I yeah. think why this is a turning point turning point for the relationship as well is because in realizing that she's been selfish she also realizes my family needs this we need the protection of this man and so by refusing this I'm just I'm being selfish again Mm -hmm. like she just she realizes that she's she she's just pushing things away for no reason that could give offer protection or could save her brother or give him a better life or whatnot so no, I anyway. agree, and I also, I think she also realizes how, um, not how awful she was, but how selfish she was when um, Blade confided mm-hmm. in Charlie about killing his sister, and, like, how Charlie said that he envisions and dreams of drinking oh, his sister's blood, baby. and, like, I feel like that's, like, that's yeah. when she realized, oh, my God, like, I honestly was torturing my yeah. brother, and... Yeah. Yeah, it was a turning point. And, like, that's that whole saying, like, too much love can be a poison. And I felt like in Mm. this sense, it was that poison. Absolutely. Like, she was, like, slowly making her brother go crazy. And, like, even in the end of the book, they're not – they don't have that brother and sister bond that they probably had before him, like, becoming a vampire. Sorry, not a vampire. Blue blood. Like, he's still afraid of being alone with her. And it's, like, not that he doesn't love her. It's just he's afraid of, like, what he could do. But maybe if she had – met Blade earlier or, or, like, confided in him earlier, maybe that would not have been the issue between them, but, yeah. I also think there's a weird link between how she sees her brother as her little brother, and it's almost as if when he goes through the transition, it's like he becomes a man in a way. Like, he's not like them anymore. Yeah. He's his own person, his own thing, and so I almost wonder if there's a little bit of that, too, of just not wanting him to grow up or 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 keeping on seeing him as this fragile child as opposed to this growing young man yeah I think that's what it was because when she finally talked about um seeing him on his feet like he didn't sound like a child at all Mm -hmm. and I'm like I was questioning I was like how like throughout the whole book I was like how old is like Charlie like how old is he actually because I think in that book he's 13 yeah so definitely on the, like, on the verge of becoming a young man. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think you realize that later on. But, I, like, as I was reading the book, I was like, this kid must be, like, six or seven. Like, he can't be older than that because of the mm-hmm. way she talked about him, the way she treated him. I get it that he was slowly, like, dying. Also because once he goes through the transition, he he is taken under under the, the shoulders of Blade and um oh, with rip and uh, you know because they well not rip well we you don't know that yet but well, rip also becomes yeah, a vampire, rip becomes a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> so he's kind of taken under their wings and um because they are they understand his situation as well and um i've read book two and and he's really quite independent like you don't really get the sense that honor is um you know being a parent you know because she was being the parent. She was. And, and yeah. she also realized with um, um, Elena, like, you can't be her mom. No, I agree. She's grown up. Yeah, she was acting the mom because her dad did leave her, her sister and her brother to take care of. And I think her allowing her brother to become a blue blood was in her eyes at that time 
like she was failing Mm -hmm. because, you know, her whole life has been, you know, seeing these vampires, not vampires, but also vampires, seeing these blue Mm -hmm. bloods and their life and the way they regard human life. And she never wanted her brother or anyone that she loved to be like that. Um, So at that time, she thought she was failing. But, of course, her opinion changes later on. Yeah. And that's another sort of interesting um, question that the book, you know, brings up is the whole... I I just, I really thought that the relationship, the sisterly relationship between Lena and Honor was really interesting as well. Because like you said, in a way, she's kind of the mom of the family, She's but she's also the sister. Mm -hmm. And they have this very contentious relationship. And I always love that in books. I... I have sisters, you have a sister, like, yeah. SS sisters, like, it's, I find that, for me personally, when sisterly bonds are represented as a little bit more complex than you would think, like, like, the, the whole, oh, we're so close, we're best friends, we're essentially that same person, we never fight, we're just so, yeah, like, that's never <clears throat> spoken to me, No, I personally. agree. I agree. And so I love when books depict sisterly bonds in a very, in a more complicated manner. Because I feel like... We're not always on the same page. No, I agree. And I honestly feel like because that, oh, we're best friends, like, she's my soulmate, that's more of, like, an unrealistic portrayal of a sisterly bond. I mean, I'm sure for some people that's the case, but... For some people, for sure. But, I mean, like, you can't, you can't say that you don't fight with your sibling. I feel like that's a common a common thing at least in my house oh yeah for sure and and especially because their situation is so tense especially yeah for lena and honor i agree i find that you know those kinds of like your 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 relationship with your sister evolves as you go through life yeah and one of one when one of you is going through something that's very stressful the relationship is more difficult Mm -hmm. and then as you grow up and you know you get more settled in your own life and you know you're you're able to sort of repair that relationship but then ultimately like it all it can always you know go back to how it was or 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 stay as it is like it's I mean, every relationship is like that no yeah (laughs) it's not just sisters it's basically any relationship And I, like, yeah. I honestly agree with that point, 100%. And I felt like for Honor, it was more of, like, a struggle for her to find that balance between being a mother mm-hmm. and also being a sister. And she struggled, like, with that immensely. And I felt like in the beginning of the book, she was more like that motherly figure. But towards the end, she's like, actually, my siblings need to live a life. And I need to let them, you know, be who they are. I think that happened more with Charlie than Lena. I don't think she really talked much about Lena and her relationship minus you know like what was going on with the vampire coming and like almost killing Lena but actually didn't you realize that the vampire didn't even attack Lena um but you know what we didn't um answer did you like the story (laughs) oh we'll go back to that okay (laughs) um but it's a constant work in progress Mm -hmm. is what I was trying to say um it's and not just between it's it's a constant work in progress between charlie and honor mm-hmm. and lena it's a constant work in progress also with leo yeah who is another interesting thing because he's the bastard and yet he's the one that's posing in society as as a duke but he's not really because he's um not legitimate mm-hmm. so that's interesting like their relationship as well because he's protecting them but also, he is very, like, he very much distances himself exactly. from the family. 
um, but by the end, you kind of feel that he's he cares for them. Yeah, he does. But he he's does. also he doesn't want the secret to come out. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't want to lose his place in society, and so mm-hmm. he doesn't really want to acknowledge that that family. No, you know? yeah, I agree. And also, um, I think the book still ended with um, Lena and Charlie not knowing Leo is their brother. Oh, did it? Yeah, I don't think they know. And um, so I think that's going to be a like a very big um, shakeup and a very big change of dynamic because they know Leo is obviously the Duke of Cain or whatever, and they obviously lived with him and grew up with him, but they never really saw him as anything more than just another rich man's son. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that's going to play out, which I kind of want, like, I want to continue on and read more because I did see that Leo gets a book, and I also see that Will and Lena get a book together, so that's going to be interesting. That's book two. I've read it. (laughs) (laughs) And I loved it. That's good. Uh, which brings us to, we completely forgot to say if we like <laughs> this book or not. So, Seth, what did you think of this book? I I enjoyed it immensely. I liked it. I'm not in love with it, but I really did like it. I feel like enjoy immensely is a very <laughs> big claim. No, I mean, it's like, hey, what I mean by it is like, I'm not in love with it, but I enjoyed it as I read it. Okay. Yeah, you had fun. Yeah, I had fun. Okay, yeah. Which, I mean, was a big feat in itself because, as we said earlier, that it was hard to find a book that we could all finish and one that Mm -hmm. we, you know, liked. (laughs) We were kind of in a book slump, guys. (laughs) Um, What about you? Yeah, for me, it's kind of the same. Like, I I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I was surprised that I did. Um, but there were certainly certain aspects of the story that I wasn't as into. Um, this is this is a romance novel, mm-hmm. but it's very plot heavy. It has to be said. Like the, yes. the actual investigation plot, I guess you could say, is, you know, just as much at the forefront of the story as the romance itself. Yeah. So and it does. I do feel like sometimes it does take away from the romance a little bit because, you know, they're not together in every scene, which that's fine. But, it, you know, sometimes they're just talking about who is this vampire and they're just hunting the vampire. And you're like, OK, cool. But like, can we get the kisses now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I that's one. That's one thing I had to say about the story. Um, I felt like the romance, or I guess, like, the physical aspect of the romance started so late on into the story. Yeah. And I'm like, finally! Like, it felt like it just was never going to happen. Uh-huh. But there's great tension to get, oh, to, yeah. you know, get to, the, to that point. Oh, yeah. So Their sexual like tension dry. was great. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Can I talk about this? Okay. Yes. The, um, I just felt like the, okay. So, I think we kind of already touched upon it, but I just felt like the vampirism like the vampires. Yes, I want to talk about that too. As how how different it is from regular vampires that we're used to. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Go ahead. Wait. Where? What did you want to talk about? No, that. Oh, exactly that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Anyways, uh, we are confused people. (laughs) (laughs) We really need. It's been a while. I don't know you, Seth, anymore. Like, I love how we're, like, secretly trying to read each other's minds right now. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Usually we're, like, on the same wavelength, but right now we're not. No, I, I did My antenna was skewed a bit. <laughs> Straighten it. All right. That's straight. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah. So we'd like to talk about how different these vampires or blue bloods Um, are from what we're used to, like the stereotypical vampire or like the traditional vampire, I guess I should say. They were really different. 
I love that there's two types in the sense that there's the, a blue blood slash a rogue mm-hmm. or there's a vampire because a vampire is when you've gone through the fade, I think is what they call yeah. it. Yeah. And your levels are so high that by that point, you're a monster. Yeah. You are you are not human anymore. You've lost your... The inti- what I find is so interesting is that your body is essentially decaying yeah. as your levels go up. Um, however, as it decays, it also grows in strength. So yeah. you're becoming stronger and stronger. Your senses are stronger and stronger. And you're losing your humanity mm-hmm. as well. Because once you're a vampire... Well... Actually, the book kind of says something interesting about that because do you really lose your the entirety of your humanity? Because the father, spoiler alert, the father is the vampire in this book, yeah, which is like a big plot twist at the end. Um, he recognizes his daughters. He does. He doesn't want to hurt them. Yeah. So you lose your humanity? Question mark. But you also don't. I think because what he remembers you them. lose everything that makes you you at that point as you become a vampire. So it's like the yeah. idea that he has his humanity, he does, but like at at which point is that enough? Like he still he, is killing people, he still is murdering and ripping people apart and causing havoc, but he still remembers. But he retains he retains son. some of it because he asks them help me kill me like he is aware it's almost as if his he's battling between the vampire in him yeah and still the the like the remainder of of his past self who is aware of of the horrible things that he's doing and he's asking for mercy and he's asking for death like he knows so i don't don't know it's it's even to that point it's still not quite so black and white. Like, yeah. you're not fully just a, a monster, I, like a killing machine. I agree. And, like, I also, I think it makes me also question, like, him as a person when he was a human. Because, yeah, he was the whole, like, anti-blue blood or whatever. He didn't support vampirism. Um, he still, like, infected his children and, like, oh, he, gave with, them the with cure. The, the vaccine, yeah. Yeah. And it's, like, that's how Leo became, a, like, a blue blood. That's how, also, Charlie became a blue blood. Because he hated Leo. I, the father figure was really interesting because it's not black and white. Exactly. He's, he's, he's very gray. You think you're, like, you're not sure you're supposed to like him. Yeah. He's done horrible things. He's done good things. Um, and I feel like it gets even more muddled when you read book two and you hear more about some of the things that he did mm-hmm. when he was alive. Um, it's an interesting figure. It's 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 certainly like, I guess, I mean, I was going to say he's the villain of the story. He's not because it's Vikers. But, but I have another question about Vikers. Um, okay. So for me, I'm like, my question is like, yeah, quote unquote. I guess like on paper he was a stereotypical villain, but mm-hmm. like if you look deeper, he wasn't really like you know just as black and white. I feel like that's what this episode should be called, black and white, because like <laughs> he was evil. He did destroy everyone's lives, meaning Blade, Emily, Honoria, like basically everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wasn't really that one dimensional. Like I honestly felt like he was doing that because he just didn't want to become a vampire. He didn't want to lose what made him him. So, like, I just thought he was interesting. He was an interesting character to me. Sorry, character to me. He, I can't say that I 
that he's the I, I trust me I've there's been many villains that I've read about that have made me go but I kind of feel for this guy you know no I didn't necessarily feel for him not in this case I believed what he was fighting for I didn't care for him I mm. like I wanted him dead but I, I think be- he was I, afraid he was a, he was a scared man yeah that's that's what he was exactly and and don't want to get into the monster of the story yet but you know he, there's certainly a monster there for him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's afraid of the monster that he could become. Exactly. <laughs> or, or he doesn't want... To, I think actually what it is is not so much he's afraid of what he could become. He's afraid of what he could lose. That's all. Awesome. He would lose his privilege. He would lose his position. He would lose his life because he would have to be put down. However, there's definitely a debate of because of high, of how high his position is in society, would he really be put down? Or would they let him live, you know, because they have no issue with killing off young or not young, sorry, but like poor blue bloods or rogues. Yeah. But do they make as much of an effort when it comes to the higher ups? I don't know. That's that. I feel like that even relates to like life today in like our world. Yeah, but absolutely. Um, I think in that sense, um, because they had found out that he was a vampire or, like, really close to the Fade, um, when everyone was together and it was very public, that the Night Walkers... Is that what they're called? The Night Walkers? Yeah, it is. The Night Walkers. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, they're, like, part... Oh, that's a that's another interest. There's a lot about humanity in this book. <laughs> and and what, it, what, it, what is human and what isn't. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, anyway, so that's... I feel like they were going to kill him. At that point, because one, everyone was watching, and two, he was basically beyond that point. But I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. if it was in private and they found out that he was a vampire or was close to being a vampire, I don't know. I feel like that's a question that... Well, people people knew, some of them knew, that he was close to the fate and they let him live. Exactly, they Why? smelled him. Because he was holding on to that power with all his might, you know? Yeah. And like you said, it's very reminiscent of our own society where you have very few men, very few white men at the top, tippy top of the pyramid that hold all the power and all the money and then everyone else is just below trying to survive. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. that's kind of a pessimist view <laughs> of our world, but you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like that. Yeah. There, there's, what, eight dukes that essentially decide the fate of everyone? Mm-hmm. Plus, oh, there's there's actually I'm 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 appreciating this book more with time because it, I, I I just remembered the the whole thing with the uh, what do they call it the 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 prince consort the prince regent the prince, prince consort and the queen mm-hmm. who that's so interesting she gets a novella the really queen, she does and I'm very intrigued because. He, so essentially how it works is that the, the queen is the queen. However, we are told that the prince consort holds most of the power. He's very manipulative. He is the one taking the decisions mm-hmm. and the queen just acts out whatever he says. He's a blue blood. She's human. So that's another interesting thing there. Um, I just think that was, that's a very ambiguous relationship right there that I just think is interesting so knowing she gets a book yeah or a novella is I'm I'm, I'm th- that means he won't be in the picture eventually I haven't, I haven't gone to that part but 
It, it it is interesting because ultimately she was the reason why Blade became Sir Henry whatever because mm-hmm. he was the reason why he was allowed to get his revenge on Vikers or Vickers or however you say his name. She made that decision to make him a knight. That was her going against him. He didn't want that. No, I know. That's what I'm saying. She made that decision. Yeah. And so that made his claim on Honoria, sorry, uh, made Blade's claim on Honoria recognized in their society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which also, we didn't talk about Honoria getting kidnapped, but she does by Vickers. <laughs> <laughs> she does. Um, but yeah, because you think, well, this is, I mean, it's kind of um, a callback to our Beast of Bezik episode where we said that, you know, society in itself is sort of a monster for women in this time period mm-hmm. especially, but, I mean, still to this day, um, because because of, in that book, the sisters are put in a situation where their only options are to go seek help from a man. Yeah. This is the same here, but it's also interesting how you have a queen. So you're like, this is the, this, she should have all the power in the world. She's the queen. She's at the top. And yet. But she does The it. book says, not really. Yeah. Not really. It's still a man. It's still a man that's in charge. Whispering of words and into her ear. I was cheering her on when she made that decision because you know it is. It's on page that you know there's going to be consequences for what she just oh, did. Yeah. She chooses to do that still to stand up and say, "I am declaring you a knight," and that ends all debates. No one can kill him. Yeah, he can just live on and and. It's interesting. She's an interesting character for sure. And she doesn't really get much page time. She doesn't. <laughs> and and I think Honoria also mentions um, that she obviously went against the council, went against all the, you know, the people in the echelon, um, mm-hmm. and that she wasn't probably going to get any more help from her because she made such a drastic decision on her own. And, mm-hmm. um, like, obviously she's talking in terms of um, Blade surviving because he did have, you know, a bout of bloodlust when he killed Vikers. Um, so I thought that was really interesting, like you said. So I'm really curious now that you told me that she has a novella. I'm kind of curious to see what her book would be like. I mean, I hope I didn't, like, hallucinate that. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure she does, I think. There's even, like, a, um, a spinoff series of this series. I did see the, that. The, the Brothers the brothers book in the, is in the other series. Oh, so he grows up. Oh, so... I thought it was really interesting also that these vampires age. Not vampires. They do. Blue bloods. Yeah, they're not they're not immortals. Yeah. Well, Which is another Are they? Would they be immortal once they're vampires? I think yeah, unless someone kills them. Yeah. I think at that they're point They're like essentially zombies. They're corpses yeah. that are still alive. <laughs> yeah, and they need they need that blood to survive. And like I feel like it was really interesting how they described a blue blood. Like, I have it saved because, like, obviously it's not something we're used to. We're used to vampires smelling, like, sexy and, like, they're so alluring and, like, they're just beautiful. And, like, how Blade describes them, it's like, um, sorry, I have the quote here. Um, A blue blood has no personal scent, no warmth. Sometimes he felt as though he was slowly turning to marble, devoid of any of the touches of humanity that surrounded him, until nothing but the hunger remained. So I think that's really interesting, like, the way that they describe blue bloods. It's, like, something that we're used to vampires being the ultimate sexy. Like, you want to, you want a vampire. And you want to be a vampire. Usually, like, that's, at least that's my mentality. But, like, if this is a vampire in our world, like, a blue blood, I don't, 
necessarily think I'd want to be one because of like the way they're described and like the way that they're like talked about no (laughs) I wouldn't either like there's nothing they don't even have the fangs okay I mean okay once you have the the fangs then what like you you become a corpse I don't want to become a corpse right they have like a whole like all their teeth become razors but like as as a blue blood you they use um razors they don't have teeth. They, their teeth aren't sharp enough to cut your skin. Oh, that's no, that's right. Honoria did talk about it. She's like how um, some blue bloods do change their teeth to resemble fangs, like they sharpen them. Is there um, any MM books in this series? Because no. the feeding between Will and Blade was yes. so high. I was actually like, I was Honoria, like watching yeah. them and like, you know. Yeah. It was hot, okay? That's another ambiguity in the book. Like, well, because... Okay, so, the saliva of vampires, shockingly, <laughs> is very uh, erotic and, and orgasm... And, and, and inducing. inducing. Um, and so, Will is one of Blade's thralls, which is a very interesting thing. And Will is a werewolf yeah. this is another virus in this world yes all um, the viruses it's all a different the one but you know werewolves are very horny that's kind of the norm <laughs> yeah and so obviously this the 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 saliva of blade works wonders on will who is a very young um active male well not sexually active he's actually a virgin but you know like he's a very energetic um let's just say a lot of stamina let's just say the uh, you know the feeding made him hump the air it did and he says he says that at one point in the past will actually reach out reached out to touch his blade during a a, a feeding and blade went no no (laughs) (laughs) i kind of i would have wanted it i mean obviously not you know honor is his match but i mean Mm. I kind of need to read an MM book now in the series. I want to know how it would work mean, out. When when do I not? <laughs> I'm always going to look for a good MM book. Let's be real. Like, yes. All the yes. <laughs> but it's so interesting, though, because Will, Will's book was interesting. And I... It, it, he hates women. He hates them. He does. He, and he does well, have a reason. he's been mistreated. He does have a reason yeah. to hate them. He he was thrown out by his mom, which then put him in the hands of very bad people who essentially treated him like an animal, put him in a cage, used him as, as you know, a spectacle yeah. and, you know, would beat him, uh, you know, force him to do all kinds of things. So he has a very difficult relationship with women because of that. And yeah. in his book, especially, he says that times and times again and it's why he's never had sex with anyone because he just he hates them the yeah. only one that he's ever not hated is lena um oh, i'm curious now i really want to read their book we should i mean i'd be down i think i'm gonna I'm, read I'm it clearly down i've read it <laughs> oh shut up <laughs> miss speedy gonzalez over here reading so many books but anyway it's just it's interesting how how you're kind of like well He's he's probably bi. He probably I think is. so. I feel like he reads that way. Or or Pan. Maybe Pan is more okay. accurate. Yeah. I could see that. So there was no MM book? No. Sadly. Alright. 
sorry. <laughs> I want it now, though. <laughs> For sure. I just, I think, I think it could, you know, I think it could have happened. The idea of him pumping, like, humping the air, like, mm-hmm. something about that and, like, the sounds he made and just, <laughs> I needed it, okay? And that's me saying yeah. it. I don't usually read M.M., right? So. I know. I know. I, I would love for her. I feel like I'm spoiling the whole plot of book two. <laughs> I'm not. I swear I'm not. But there is more werewolves in book two. Oh, okay. That are introduced. And I would love for her to do like a spinoff series. I wonder if she will. About the werewolves. Because I'd be down for two werewolves together werewolves like i said as it is they're pretty horny (laughs) i think it's interesting though because um in this book they talk about werewolves basically being um executed into extinction like they were murdered and like they scoured the like whole world basically killing most of them so i think it's um no actually what happened is that that's true only for the uk oh okay in because in scandinavian countries it's the opposite. Or, or do you remember they said in Paris they executed the blue bloods? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's the opposite, and and it's the same for Scandinavians since Scandiv- Scandinavian countries where they executed a lot of the blue bloods, mm-hmm. and so the werewolves there are the majority. Okay. So oh, it's kind of okay. like they're doing the opposite. So. I'm not. I'm really, really intrigued. I think I really want to pick up book two soon. Okay, stop. Oh, I wish the <laughs> listeners can see your face right now. Um, can we talk about how fascinating... I mean, we don't know much about the Nightwalkers. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. But what we do know, what we do know is that they are part metal. They are blood drinkers. Mm-hmm. And they are part metal. Um, like Rip. Rip has a metal arm. Yes. There's, because obviously when it's in, in the steampunk world, it's a world that's sort of a past, like a past version of London that's also, what if it was more advanced, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like, it's a it's a past version, but more advanced, futuristic in a way that it didn't become futuristic that way. Do you, like, like I look at it as more like mechanical or like industrial even. Yeah. Yeah. But what if that was taken to the extreme mm-hmm. where you have robots walking down the streets? Everything is powered by steam. Obviously, some of them have like mechanic limbs. And what's interesting about that is that they're not considered as human because of that. Well, I mean, they are part robot in a sense. But they're not. They're still people. Rip is still human yeah however he's not seen as such and the nightwalkers are not seen as such no i agree as machines than people yeah and i think that like for me when i like they described rip's arm i pictured like okay anakin and star wars like his arm would (laughs) resemble that in a way oh yeah so like that's i'm like he's still like anakin was like human looking he was still like i don't know what type of alien he was but he was basically a humanoid alien um so like that's how i kind of pictured it so like heck Seth it was same but because you and I would freaking see a reptile and go he but he's a human baby you know what I mean like we humanize everything <laughs> anyways you might have a lizard romance coming up sometime soon okay that's that is all sure we might we might people get ready for that <laughs> um but yeah like this society doesn't see them as such so it's like who the fuck is a human then in this world because vampires aren't 
And then night night walkers and people that have anything that's not human are not. So who is human in this world? I think the blue bloods honestly <laughs> think they're the epitome of perfection. They're the epitome of like what people should be. And they but basically say that everything else that isn't a blue blood is lesser than them. And I think that, like, again, that just resembles our society. And it's like, if you're not, like, rich or if you're not, like, someone with privileges, um, you're seen as less in some eyes. And, you know, it's just, it's crazy. But that's just how that world works. Yeah. And it's, and I think it's funny that they use the Nightwalkers as, like, their form of security, their form of I guess, military, but they don't see their own military as human, despite them risking their lives and, like, losing limbs for them. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting topic. Um, I have a question. Okay. So, you know how uh, Blade explains, like, tells Charlie that the story of of when he transitioned and him killing his own sister. Mm -hmm. I have a question about that. Okay. Because he was told... That by Vikers. He essentially says that he blacked out, kind of like when he goes into one of his rages. Mm-hmm. He blacked out, couldn't remember what, ha- what had happened, and then he woke up and he just saw his sister there lying dead. I'm wondering if Vikers did it. If Vikers, in order to manipulate Blade, made him think that he had killed his sister, but and he didn't. And you think it backfired? Because, like, obviously Blade didn't want anything to do with Vikers after that. So, like, do you think, like, his plan backfired? Is that where well, you're going what, with this? What did he... I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm just wondering. Because I've, I've always had that doubt. Like, when he explained that story and knowing how Vikers is, I was like, are you sure you're the one who killed her? He might have put your sister there like he might have been the one who drank the entirety of your sister's blood and then killed her off and made you think that you had done it it could be that vikers had you know in one of his vampire like i guess his vampire rages drank her to death and left her there for blade to you know believe that he was the one that did that or maybe vikers being vikers got tired of her and just killed her or it could just be Blade did that. I Like, I honestly, I don't think... I mean, it was a main focal point for Blade's character and, like, why he is the way he is. But, yeah, I don't I don't think they dwell too much on it because I just think... No, it's definitely, like, not something important in the book. It's just when, when it was said, I was like, hmm. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't put it past Vikers to do that. Why do you think he wanted honor? Is that a question that you think was answered? I don't think it was answered as much as I would have liked. I Yeah, I agree. It wasn't answered as much. I think it was more that, like, Honor was such a strong, like, independent woman that knew what she wanted, even when she was part of, I guess, the echelon, like, she was part of the ton. Um, like, she knew what she wanted, and she kept fighting him. Like, she was forced to be a prey because he made her that way. But she never wanted him, mm-hmm. and I think that was, like, the allure. Like, you know how vampires are, like, they're always seen as predators, um, and in the sense, blue bloods are basically the scene, like, they're seen as perfection. And I think for him, it's more of, like, a pride thing. Like, why would she not want me? And also, she's running away all, the, like, every time I try to... Well, also, they literally say, do not run away from a vampire or, or a blue blood or yeah. a werewolf. So, Don't run away from them. They think it's a game. Yeah, so that's why, that's, that's what I thought the allure of Honoria was for Vikers. 
I think, yeah, but also I think, because it's like, okay, he wanted her in part because she had the answers to the cure. He's trying, Mm. he's desperately trying to look for the cure. She's the daughter of the scientist who found the cure, but his journals were missed or are missing, though Honor knows where they are. Um, And she's the only one who can read his, like gibberish because <laughs> he essentially he created like them. a new language yeah yeah um so i think he wants her in part for that but the weird thing is he also wants her in like an obsessive psycho way, way. yeah yeah like he wants her as a thrall as well he like he wants to possess what she is i don't know it's a weird thing and he I was just, a I don't weird think I ever really got an answer and, like, I think at first, like, the reason why he was so one-dimensional in the sense for, like, I just want honor. I want, you know, I want that cure. Um, is because I feel like, like, Blade and Honoria were very multifaceted. I feel like as a character, like, both of them were very, like, different. Um, but in sense, like, I don't know. I just feel like Vikers was, a, like, a weird character. Like, I couldn't figure out a lot of his motives, even though I did understand his ultimate goal. There's one really interesting scene that does give you a little bit more perspective into who he is. And it's the scene where Honor hides into his study or office and he's looking at a grave. The oh. grave of one of his thralls that he killed. Oh, that's um, that's the scene where she had hid the diaries in Emily's crypt. Like, I guess her yeah. graveyard. And that's Emily is Blade's sister. And so she was hiding inside of the graveyard, and she saw, yeah, she overlooked Vikers grieving. And later on, she asks him, like, is it because, like, you regret what you did? Like, at least she gets a sense that he regrets what he did to the sister. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting, because he really, he has, like, a moment of mourning, almost, looking at the grave. And so it's almost as if, He's, yeah, regretting re- regretting what he did or having a reflecting on what happened or whatnot. Like, you, you, you what I'm trying to say is that you'll get a, a, uh, the impression that there's more to what he is. Yeah. Perhaps that there, there's more complicated feelings yeah. in the men. I agree. And do you think if he was um, not as far gone into, like, the virus, like, if he wasn't so close to being a vampire, do you think he would have been a villain? Like, if he was, like, way, like, maybe, like, even, like, like 20 years into the past, like, do you think, like, he would have been, like... Because, like, you have to keep in mind, like, every decision he's made in, like, the past maybe five years has been because of, like, how far gone he is into the virus. But he created Blade, and Blade wasn't the only one that he created. He purposefully infected young kids because he wanted to see what would happen. That is true. So I do think there's... You know, it's pretty, pretty, you know. Yeah. I just feel like his character was interesting to me in that sense that, yeah, like, yeah. you know, vamp- vampirism, like, is a spectrum in this book. Like, yeah. you know, like, you start yeah. off full, like, human, but you like the taste of blood. And then it just continues on to the point where, like, you're so far gone. You've lost all your humanity. And the only thing you have is the idea of blood, you know, sating you. Um, so yeah, I just thought that was so interesting to me because, like, obviously we're used to vampires, you know, being sexy, sure of, like, their bloodlust and all of that. So I thought this, like, it was really interesting. 
even Rip, because Rip obviously almost dies in this book, and then in order to save him, Blade gives him some of his blood so he gets infected and then yeah. he gets turned into a blue blood. But even Blade, uh, sorry, Rip in his novella, which he has a 0.5 novella after this book um, with Esme, mm. um, he's struggling with his need for blood. So that's interesting because, like you said, it's a spectrum. Like, it's, it's, it changes as your levels go up. And in the very beginning, Rip drinks most of his blood cold because he can't control it. Mm -hmm. He would drink someone to death. Yeah. To death. Like, he... So, but as, as your levels go up, you're, you know, you get, you know used to the virus and eventually you're able certain like blade to just take small quantities yeah. and control yourself and then eventually you go back to not being able to control yourself <laughs> i feel like that's like so. resembling life in itself like you know like you start off unsure of yourself unsure of the world and like you're nervous about everything and then like you reach a point in your life where I don't know how many years for some people it's like, yeah, you know what? I'm living a good life. I have everything sorted out. And then your independence, like you depend solely on yourself. And then later on, as years go by, you are dependent again on other people. And you're you're more worried. Yes, exactly. And you do sort of lose a little bit of yourself. You do. I mean, in some cases, completely when, you know, Alzheimer and, and such. Yeah. But yeah it is it is sort of like that you're right like it, yeah look at us getting deep <laughs> <laughs> it's just a book about vampires guys i know like <laughs> here we are like so it's much like into it. <laughs> oh god but i mean that's kind of what happened when what happens when you get a book that's so ambiguous yes. I, I i appreciate the ambiguity of this book because it allows for us to have like these sort of discussions because if it was just one way here's how the vampires are and here's how they react to things and you know like I feel like we wouldn't be able to have these conversations but because of how she created this world and created the vampires and and the characters yeah we're able to you know go a little bit deeper than that yeah I Um, agree can I also just say like I loved Honoria's character like I loved how mature she was and like how independent she was like she had her goals and like she knew what she like she knew what she wanted from life but like i feel like once blade came into the picture he obviously shook her perspective of what blue bloods were like what vampires were like and obviously she had to reevaluate herself and reevaluate her prejudices like i thought she was a really mature character and i love that she even voiced it to him too like she wasn't just be like you know like internally it wasn't an, like an internal struggle she actually voiced that she didn't know what she wanted from the relationship with him I just loved her character. I love how mature right. she was. So often in romance, characters have these conversations internally. Yeah. But it's never voiced. Mm-hmm. And in this book, they actually talk about it, which is nice. Like, they actually voice their concerns, their struggles, mm-hmm. their questions, their confusions. Like, it's, it's good. In like, that way. It's, no, I have it right here. I have it saved. And, like, I just felt like it was such a it was such a great moment because of, like, I'm, like, I'm so used to, as you said, characters internalizing their, I guess, their problems and, like, their beliefs. And, like, I love that she fully told him um, because he was kind of disappointed with her, you know, answer that she didn't know. And um, she says, I don't know. I'm still trying to work out what I feel. She saw his face and grabbed his sleeve as he moved to step back. 
You wanted the truth between us? I'm sorry. Then, but this is how I feel. I'm so confused. There's been so much going on with Charlie and losing my employment and then you, you're not who I thought you were. So she's being honest and she's telling him that she doesn't like, you got to give her like a few minutes because, or even longer than that, because she just doesn't know. It's something new for her. And I love that she voices it. (laughs) Yeah. And you have in this book, a a feminine figure that's very uh, strong, independent, etc. But you, it's so nice to see her have a moment where she just, especially the moment where she realizes how selfish she was towards her brother, like to see her crumble and, and actually show how sometimes it's just a facade. You know what I mean? Like you're faking it till you make it. Mm -hmm. And, and she's like, I don't have my shit together. I don't. Yeah. (laughs) You know? And she, up till that point, she was trying so hard to keep it up, to keep up the pretense, especially like in her job. Yeah. She's still, she's still wearing clothes as if she's still rich like and a living rich girl. life. Yeah, but she's not. But she's trying so hard to hold on to that. I know. And then eventually she's like, I don't have this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I, I don't have I'm not I don't have my shit together. Yeah. I need to figure myself out. And right I now. love that. Like I don't know, I just feel like it was such a feminist moment and like you said, she's a very yeah. like strong, independent woman and like I just loved that she was like, you know what? Like, I am allowed to say what I want to say. And I love, and I think Blade was such a great character for her and a great companion because, like, yeah, sure, he was at first, like, he didn't understand what she was doing and he didn't understand why she kept pulling away. But I felt like once he heard that, he's like, you know what? She needs her space to figure this out because she's lived her whole life hating on Blue Bloods and seeing how awful they could be. She needs her, she needs her space. And I love that they were like, at that point, that's when they decided, okay, you know what? Let's let's explore this. Let's see where this can go. I just yeah. loved her. Yeah. And I love Blade. He's just <laughs> I feel like I rarely, if I've if ever, use the word fabulous to describe a male character, but I feel like it kind of fits him. <laughs> He's just so into his clothes. He's so into like his appearance, his hair. Um, like, obviously, he has, like, the Cockney accent, which doesn't really fit the, like, the, pompous yeah. persona. Yeah. But, like, he's very flashy, I guess is a better word than fabulous. He's very flashy. I love he loves it. I loved reading him um, work his blade. Like, the way he, like, I'm just picturing, like, mm-hmm. him, like, one of those crazy, like, blade people that, like, do all those yeah. tricks. That's what I was picturing. And I'm like, ooh, I'm digging it. That's so hot. Like, you keep flipping those blades. I wonder if it's, like... If he's the way he is as a way to, like, mock the Dukes, the Echelon. Oh, you like, think? If he, he wears clothes like them. Oh, yes. And then he's like, but I'm in Whitechapel. I am the devil of Whitechapel. And yet, look at me. I am... Because, okay. Because his, like, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but, like, his home, for example. Like, he's from the exterior mm-hmm. and from, like, everyone that goes into his house only sees like a crumbling place yeah it's just it's just a facade you go up a level and he lives very lavishly he has a beautiful home but he doesn't want to show people that and I think the flashiness of him is a very um is very performative like it's, it's only he's just trying to portray something and I feel like that is in part like as a way to mock 
high society in a way. Yeah, because everything's kept behind closed doors. Yeah. Because it's a mockery of them, too, when he's made a duke. Exactly. You know, look at me. What's his name? What's his actual name? James? No. no, his name is Sir Henry. He's a knight. He gets dubbed a knight. We don't learn his name, his actual name, till, like... The end? The very, very end. And it's so funny, because Honor is like, wait, that's your name? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, shush, never say it again. <laughs> it's just, it's a funny scene. Because she's like, oh, do I start calling you that now? And he's like, don't you dare. <laughs> Because, like, he's been going by Blade for how long? It's just, like, you know, he identifies as Blade, so call him Blade. But, yeah. um, anyways, um, what do you think, or who do you think the monster of the story is? I feel like we've, I feel like we've gone over that. We've talked. Multiple times already. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like, I don't know, can you think of anything else, or is there any point uh, that you want to go okay. a little deeper into? For me, I was kind of looking, um, because I wanted to look for something that wasn't, you know, the obvious, like, you know, that rabid vampire yeah. or like it wasn't yeah. about like her prejudices, which we already talked upon. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, sorry, touched upon. Um, yeah, her prejudices towards the Blue Bloods and like her past with living with a ton. Like we already talked about that. But I also like for me, I also kind of saw the monster as like the idea of like the what ifs, like what the future could be like, because like for him, we knew early on that he was going to become a vampire sometime soon. He was going to you know, he's close to the fade. And, like, the idea of a future for him doesn't, like, it didn't really click in until he met Honor and, like, started to know her more. And that's when he was like, damn, I wish I had more time with her because she's, an, like, an amazing woman. And if, you know, if I met her a few years in the past, I would have wanted her to be my wife. But he's like, now that that path isn't open for me. So I think for me, like, the idea of, like, the what if, like, what the, our future could have been like was kind of his monster because he didn't fully let himself fully let go and be with her until after he realized oh wait my levels are actually going down and that's when he was finally like you like I don't know I read it as like like the the burden on his shoulders were like it was lighter because he was like actually I can have that future that I wanted I feel like we really need to talk about book two because we can't that, that question of blade is reopened in that book in such an interesting way. And I feel like it's it's not like, you know, you're like, oh, his levels are going down, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I think she pushes it a little bit deeper than that or a little bit further than that and in a really interesting way. So I, I feel like it could bring about a new conversation. Anyways, I don't want to say too much. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, um, I can't really think of anything else I mean definitely like white men being at the tippy top of society and you know holding on for dear life to their power and making like putting everything into place for you know patriarchy and and not bowing out gracefully you know like not bowing out when you know it's your time (laughs) like vikers needed to get gone years ago yeah but also like how I guess how even when sometimes you think women are being empowered, are they really, or is it just um, like is it just a per, like a performative thing? Yeah, like, sort of in the sense of, of like the queen. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to voice something here that I'm not doing <laughs> a very good job at. Okay, I'm thinking of like the queen and how you think she's in control. You think she yeah has power. 
but actually she doesn't. Yeah. It's a lot more ambiguous than yeah. that, and I kind of think that that's a thing, too. Like, I, I was listening to someone yesterday who was saying it's kind of unrelated, but kind of related in the same way. I'm going on t- a tangent, everyone. <laughs> Follow me along. Fair warning. Makeup. Makeup. I was listening to someone talk about makeup and saying how good it is to see more male in makeup. Mm -hmm. And up front, you think, well, yeah, that's a good thing. Like, you're seeing more men start wearing makeup, you know, and and that's becoming more and more of a normal thing. But what the person, the argument that the person was saying is that men have always been a part of the makeup world a lot of the makeup companies are owned by men and those men were the ones who put these standards into place men have always had a hand into this world of appearances and and such so it's you think it's a very you know feminine world which i'm using feminine i don't want to say female but like you think it's a very closed world that men are sort of are starting to say like hey maybe we want to be a part of this or whatnot like I'm not doing a very good job it's makeup is becoming a more fluid thing however what this person was saying is that actually men have always been a part of it but they weren't a part of it that was visible and yet the impact that they had on it was so vast but that's only a recent thing if you think about it because who invented heels it was men who like yeah. who wanted to wear the biggest wig? Who wanted to wear like the whitest face makeup and like the blush? It was men. Men wore makeup. Men wore heels before women did. And then until recently, they were seen as something that wasn't should not be the norm for men. No, but that's what I'm trying to say is that men have had an invisible hand onto a lot of things that you wouldn't like. It's not new. Mm-hmm. Men are, in part, behind a lot of beauty standards nowadays yeah. that are crushing to some women, Yeah, you know? And so that's what I'm trying to get at with, like, the, the, the prince consort having this hold onto the queen that, you know, is perhaps not visible, but he's there. He's the one pulling her you know, strings. Holding the strings. Yeah. yeah. Oh, see, there you go. So. We're back. My antenna is straight. <laughs> Maybe it was mine that was cute. <laughs> um, anywho, that's what I'm trying to get at. Okay. It's, it's an interesting question that certainly we see in our world. And I, yeah. I think that's in part a monster. Like, we have to destroy <laughs> that. I agree. <laughs> but besides that, I think we've, I th- I think we've talked about most of the yeah. thing, like humanity. Um, and like you said, society was a huge monster in this book, for sure. Yeah. Um. But, last question, um, would you um, like to switch places with, with any of the characters in this book? No. Why? <laughs> it's a, it's a, this world is too gritty. It's for not me, for me. I think, me either. Like, it's, it's, no, it's too dark, too gritty, too dirty (laughs) it's not okay it's not the idea that it's like it's too like dark or gritty for me it's more of like I don't want I don't want the plague I don't want to be a blue blood and then become a nasty vampire or live in a world where like I'm fearing I'm gonna be attacked by a rabid vampire zombie like I don't it's not a place 
that I would want to be. Plus, if you're neither of those things, you're probably someone's thrall. That like, is... that's your only perspective of success in life is becoming someone's thrall. Yeah. So. That is true. I, I don't want that either. Yeah, I, I don't, don't want to be food. Unless it's Nikolai. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> Wrong series, in which, Mars. In which case, in which case, please and thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it's Cressley Cole's world, for sure, I Heck would be, yeah. you know, in there. Show me the portal, Mariketta. Come get me through a mirror. Like, let's go. Yes. Um. Anyway, not in this world. Yeah. Same. I don't even think I'd survive in this world, to be honest. I won't be taking the uh, the portal to this world. I'll pass it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we actually didn't really talk talk about like the plot, like like but like beyond what you said, but we didn't. I felt like because we I don't know as you said I felt like this book was very um, ambiguous, but it was also like rich in possibilities and ideas that like we all like I'm saying all like there's more than just you and me. There's my ghost, <laughs> and there's our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, <laughs> but yeah, what I'm saying is like. Um, yeah, it was just so much, like, if you dug deeper, you would have seen a lot more things to talk about, and I felt like the plot, while it was, it was good, and, like, it kept me on the edge of my seat, Yeah, I just, like, I don't know, looking deeper, there's more to talk about, which I really, really appreciated. Which I think is more interesting in some ways, so. Yeah, so. We've had good conversations today, so. We did! I'm happy. Me too, I hope it translates Um, to a good episode, though. it's somewhat funny I don't know at least we're Um, not like reading quotes like we did for Katora and Lord Death like that was just you know we quoted the whole book that podcast is essentially an audiobook exactly (laughs) except you get to listen to our voices the whole time yeah (laughs) um all right is this it this is it all right, so thanks everyone for joining us today to talk about Kiss of Steel by Beck McMaster. Um, next week, we're reading Dark Needs at Night's Edge. It's Conrad's book. We're going back to the IAD world, um, so I hope you're excited for that. Um, you can find us on social media at Romance and the Monsters Podcast on Instagram <laughs> or the RTM Pod on Twitter and also at romance of the monsters podcast at gmail.com and you can find me on social media at frozen lovers on both twitter and instagram and you can find me seth on both twitter and instagram at pros with woes that's it i hope they're excited for conrad's book we're gonna find out who the frick is the ghost people <laughs> finally <laughs> <laughs> i mean we know <laughs> spoiler alert we've already recorded that episode Um, all right. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Great. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.